0: And I remember the crisis point for me was around Christmas time in 2010. I basically told Dan, "This isn't working. Like, I'd rather throw this all down the toilet if I have to continue to deal with this organization. This is my breaking point, and uh, I'm I'm going to walk away. Or I think that we should try and buy our partner out."
1: I put up the Tropical MBA website, which was essentially like, "Come work for me. I'll teach you how we built this business. We'll pay you a thousand bucks a month." and I'll also help you with your projects. And that was the idea of starting to get people that were listening to the podcast involved in our day-to-day business. Hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to the second part of Ian and I's story. Got a lot of interesting emails last week about the genesis of Ian and I's friendship and this week a lot more about our business Before we do that, I want to do some housekeeping. I want to let you know about this week's Dynamite deal. This is a deal that I personally championed in the company because I am super passionate about flying business class. So if you love flying business class and like me, spend a decent amount of money on your credit cards, you'll probably never have to fly coach on a long haul flight again. That's right. This week's Dynamite deal is unlimited points bookings for $449. Over at dynamitedeals.co, you can read the copy. We worked on this this week. It goes like this. This week's deal comes with a warm towel and bottomless champagne. Kick off your shoes and extend your seat all the way flat because you're $449 away from priority boarding and business class travel. So if you take us up on this week's deal, which is only available for one more week, the price of $449. Points Panda, our partner, will help you to lay out a strategy on how to accumulate the most points. Again, if you're running a business and you're buying things on your business, this is free money, which can then be exchanged for business class itineraries. For me personally, I find it a pain in the butt to turn those points into business class itineraries. So with Points Panda, you're just an email away, say, Hey, Points Panda, I want to fly from here to here on this date. Let's get it done. That's the idea behind this week's Dynamite Deal, available for one more week over at DynamiteDeals.co. Welcome to the second part of our narrative requested by the listenership about how Ian and I met and the story of our first business, our first product company. And a story that we've been following along in bits and chunks for nearly a decade on this very pod. We're trying to pull it all together in just a few episodes. And then, of course, subsequently, we started another business, which is our private members' community, the Dynamite Circle, which so many of you know about and are a part of, with its associated online masterminds, in-person events, and a whole lot more going on there. But you know, maybe that's a whole nother story. We've got to take a few steps back because last week we left the story just as the dynamic within the California-based services company that we both joined back in 2005 under the directorship of a CEO and owner called Jim was reaching a crisis point. So Ian was facing an increasingly hostile environment as he tried to grow our joint vision, designing and manufacturing a range of products that the three of us owned the intellectual property for outright. And those were, at the time, valet parking products, like storage boxes for keys and, of all things, high-end cat furniture. At this time, Ian was still in San Diego while I had journeying to Southeast Asia to seek out new ways to not only manufacture our products, but also to improve our marketing and our websites, and frankly, to chase a new way of life. So just as the situation within our parent company was imploding, I was forced to make a reluctant... But fortunately, temporary return to the United States. In 2008, after the financial crisis, it's clear that this Vietnam adventure is not going to work out. But, you know, remember, I'm still, you know, a third owner of this company that Ian's running, and I'm working as a consultant for Jim. So I'm like, man, I got to consolidate, rally the horses, I'm flying home. So by the time that I had returned from Vietnam, I do recall it was sort of an interesting and new Ian because now all of a sudden, my friend was entrepreneur Ian, getting paid full-time to run this company that I had an equity share in. Meanwhile, I'm getting paid from a few different sources to do SEO consulting, and I'm not getting paid from Ian. Instead, I'm You know, letting what would be my salary go back into the company so it could ultimately grow and sustain all three of us. That was sort of the idea. That turned out to be a really challenging and long road, as any entrepreneur would know. I forget the exact date, but at some point we, you know, hired our first full time employee, this guy named Alistair. And that was sort of my salary, right? And instead we were like, no, we should use this money to bring in somebody who can grow the business.
0: In two thousand eight two thousand nine the the business was doing quite well. We had paid back all of our debt, I think at that time, back to our partner Jim. He had given us an, an initial loan to buy the first inventory run, and obviously shared some other resources with us. but we had paid back that debt pretty fast, also considering it was like in the middle of a major recession. so you know I didn't know much about macroeconomics, I still don't, but I did know enough, I thought to feel. Pretty confident, like the whole world is kind of melting around us and this business is going up. And I was feeling all the confidence in the world and the business. I had a, a whole sheet full of new products that I wanted to develop. And so I was just trying to figure out, hey, how can we grow this thing as, as fast as possible?
1: A few important things happened during that time. The first is that we started the podcast. Well, it wasn't we, it was me. <laughs> I'll take credit for it. Credit where credit is due. I had been listening to these other podcasts that had inspired me, and I had listened to nonstop while we were starting this business. But no one was really doing what we were doing, which is growing, I'll just say, a legitimate company, like one that's not just selling people how to do this dream. There was a few podcasts that were run by consultants and things like that, but I felt like what Ian and I were doing was like, hey, this is a substantial real company. At the time, we were probably doing like $15,000 a month in sales and we were selling real products and we had a real distributed team. It was during that time that I would drive up at night in this dangerous Datsun automobile. I had these sort of the call center headphone microphone and I think I tried to record like 6 episodes sitting in this my old office that used to be mine, sitting there at like 9:30 p.m. trying to make sense of what was happening in my life I think because now all of a sudden I'm like I'm back at the scene of the crime where it all started, where my career had was something for real, and now I'm making less than half the money. you know I'm wearing crocs and driving a three hundred fifty dollar car, and I'm loving it, I'm trying to figure out what's going on, you know I'm trying to make sense of like this new life that I have, and that's where the podcast came from and in a lot of ways, it was to buttress my own thinking and try to clarify it. To say like, hey man, like you're all in on this now. You gave up on a good shot at the other path. It was kind of funny that the first few podcasts were recorded from my old office. Like no one knew I was there. I just had the code, you know? I think I probably recorded four or five episodes that nothing happened. I I deleted them. And then finally, I kind of came on this episode that I felt okay about. And uh, I put the website up. And that was going to be like something that I did. How Ian got on the show was sort of interesting. I don't know if he really wanted to do a podcast at the time. I just think he wanted to be involved. He just saw that it was something cool. Like, that's the way I read it. You know, he would always like be around and be like, hey, man, you know, and so by the third or fourth episode, I think in the time in my mind, I was thinking, you know, Ian's the product guy. I think I was ambivalent about whether or not the show needed Ian's perspective. You know, my perspective should do. (laughs) But I do remember sitting down for the third episode. Now, because I had done, you know, five deleted podcasts and two real ones, I was like the expert, like coaching Ian along on how to do this podcasting thing. And it became really clear, like within the first 10 episodes, I was like, I can't even believe I thought I was going to do this alone. From then on, it was like, you know Ian was the co-host
0: for me the podcast experience was it was exciting it was fun but it was also like very confusing because Dan is like a guy that has all the confidence in the world when it comes to talking and me not so much especially in, in the beginning so i really felt like a lot of pressure to sound smart to sound like i knew what i was talking about and i'd really have to think on my feet and so like I'd say for like the first couple years, it was like a very uncomfortable situation for me, and if you go back and listen to those shows, I'm sure you can hear it in my voice, like I'm trying to pull together all my thoughts, I'm trying to sound like I know what I'm talking about, and uh, I'm doing it in a microphone, although like I appreciated the exercise and I like knew it would be valuable someday, I was very nervous and I, I felt very bad about most episodes after we recorded them. in fact, so bad like I didn't even want to listen to a lot of them. You know, at first, I wasn't sure quite what to think. Like, I kind of thought of it as like a vanity project. As things progressed, like, I really started to see it as a serious network. Dan was starting to meet people, and we were starting to interview people on the podcast that I thought were really interesting and doing similar things as us. And I thought, like, you know, there's no way I would meet these people in San Diego hanging out in the warehouse. So it was starting to become interesting that he was starting to network in a way that I I didn't know was possible. Meanwhile,
1: tensions at the San Diego-based company had come to a head. So the reason in 2009, there was this very hostile environment around the company was we were still using all of the resources that Jim had offered us as part of the partnership deal. And one of those resources was office space. Another was warehouse space. Another was relationships with these factories. I mean, Ian was basically in the office that he had quit from. This company was like sort of birthed from the original company, and it was sitting right there in the midst of it, and it was like this forsaken child. My sense for what Ian went through during that time was absolutely remarkable that he got through it and put up with it, but it must have been horrible. So to talk about, what was happening, the environment under which all of these deals were cut to share the warehouse, to share the office, to you where know, we're all going to get rich off of this thing, that was a 2007 environment. Fast forward to 2010, and the whole industry is recovering. It's on its knees. Jim is taking huge lines of credit and loans in order just to keep his company afloat. Meanwhile, Ian runs a product business. This is part of the reason we talk about starting a product business all the time. He had low overhead. He was good with the books. He was running a disciplined company. But he continued to demand what I and Ian and myself felt was a fair interpretation of the deal, which is, look, like you're in this deal to supply resources. But the tension got really, really high because Jim's company is big and important to him and a lot of people that work for it, and it's on its knees. Meanwhile, you got this forsaken child company that's got this sweetheart deal, taking resources from the herding company, and it's doing pretty good. It's not at scale to pay all its founders, but it's, from a and l perspective, this is a company that's performing well. So this set the context for the breakup. You know, I was at a moment for other reasons trying to figure out like what I was going to do. And I certainly wasn't going to come back and work in a toxic environment for a company with feuding founders. That company, said company, can't even pay them. I am not the smartest entrepreneur in the world, but I'm not that dumb.
0: And I remember the crisis point for me was around Christmas time in 2010, where I basically told Dan, this isn't working. Like I'd rather throw this all down the toilet if I have to continue to deal with this organization. This is my breaking point, and uh, I'm I'm going to walk away. Or I think that we should try and buy our partner out.
1: I wrote an email to Jim in December of 2010. I would consider it the most important email I've ever written in my career, and I basically laid out what I felt to be this future. Basically I'm not going to work for this company for the next however many years it's never going to pay me any money. Basically my point was is like I'm willing to like walk for this very small number. It wasn't a lot of money for all the work we'd put into it, but at the time it was honest and true.
0: Yes, Dan ultimately sent the email to our third partner. We discussed it at length together, I'm sure for for several days. Dan had an interesting position in that relationship in that he kind of had to like toe both lines. He was basically friends with both of us in a way. So he was always like pretty careful in terms of like how he approached things. And, And I really appreciate that because I don't think I would have initially been so
1: diplomatic in that email. If I'm being honest, Ian and I were in cahoots so deep on this thing jim held on to this relationship that me and him had, had which is right-hand man
0: i think jim saw me as a, as a kid that was full of piss and vinegar was like ready to light the world on fire and in a lot of ways i think he appreciated that because i'm sure that there's some of him that was wanting to do that too but also i think he probably saw me as like a disruptor i think that Jim probably always saw me as the product designer that asked for too big of a raise which is what I did at his company. You know, I think that that meeting probably scarred him in a lot of ways and and probably a lot of other unsavory things I may have done, but yeah, I think he probably always saw me as as a product designer. I think he probably didn't see me as an entrepreneur and certainly not as an equal he had this uh, organization that he'd bought and so he had some i think he had some debt on the line and for sure the the organization had a lot of ongoing capital requirements so this was like not an easy business to run or to make good but he was doing it i mean he would be on sales calls all day i really admired him for that just in terms of like how he was pushing what i saw to be like a not so great business forward. I admired him for that, but then at the same time I think he probably had a lot more to lose than I
1: did. The deal got done pretty quick. I think everybody wanted an emotional separation from all the bullshit we've all been putting up with. That was the kind of point of my email. Let's like shake this thing up because if we continue to grind, which is really what 09 and 10 felt like, and Ian was At the core of that, he was grinding so hard and no one was benefiting. And that was my point is like, 2011 is not going to be like this for me, guys. Like, I'd rather type out blogs on the internet. And it was in my mind, definitely, I'm totally fine with the blog thing or whatever it was I was going to do on the internet. And Jim's a big person, right? Like, so I mean, these disagreements shouldn't show him in any kind of negative light. I mean, he mentioned right away, like, I think you guys deserve this opportunity. You know, he was generous about it.
0: So the deal that we reached, I felt really happy. When we got the email back from Jim saying, okay. And then when we got the piece of paper back with his signature on it, and this was just like a three-sentence piece of paper with our three signatures on it. I just remember thinking like, this is the beginning. This is like the fresh start. And certainly, I felt really great about the price that we got it for although like i was nervous like i knew that we can make this work
1: i'll never forget the feeling of i mean i've had a lot of exciting moments in my career but there was this moment in january of 2011 it was early january it was new york city i was there with my friends for new year's eve And I remember just like walking around the streets of Brooklyn, having done this deal. Ian and I are talking every day at this point, so I'm sure we were excited about it together. But I I just remember this afternoon walk by myself. I was definitely listening to some hip-hop music in my earphones thinking, like, your life is all yours now. That was the emotion I was like reveling in. It's like, it's all on you. It was that moment that it made it emotionally so much easier for me to be an equal with Ian. I don't know if Ian and I had like a, an official discussion about this, but there was always this question mark of like tropical MBA and like and I was getting like all the, these inquiries from people that wanted to do stuff together, and I think it was like at that moment when it was like we all own this 50-50 right now. Like all this stuff I've been doing on the side now, it's all together. We're all putting it into the soup. And it's like, me and you, man, we're doing this.
0: The podcast and the blog was very much like, especially in the beginning, it was very much like Dan's identity. And I remember having having a bit of a hard time with that from a couple different perspectives. Like one is, we agreed early on that we were going to own these companies together. So we're going to own the product company together. And we're also going to own the blog platform together, whatever that blog might become. And it was like clearly Dan's brand. (laughs) I'm sure Dan saw it as just important. And at the beginning, I certainly didn't because we were making real money and we were building a real company. And the podcast was kind of this thing out in space or on the ether. Like it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And it certainly wasn't generating any money. So, you know, for Dan to have the foresight that one day it would become just as important. I think is uh pretty visionary but at the time like all I saw was balance sheets and cash flows and inventory and I thought like yeah yeah that's great like the podcast is great but like if you actually want to continue being on an island and like money coming to your bank account like I'm going to have to sit here and focus on this business. I remember feeling like that a lot.
1: I think that's always been like the central tension between Ian and myself in some ways or one of like I don't know if it's a big tension but Yeah. For me, it was like one of the greatest things about having the product company was the narrative it supplied us. Things were happening. We definitely had like momentum. We had listenership. We were networking with other people online. We had started a a mastermind for free. In my mind, it was very clear that it was heading somewhere wonderful. I just knew that pretty early days. I knew that we had a, a unique story and the people we were Connecting with were unique. And I felt like it was always going to be something. You want to rank higher in Google? You got to get in touch with today's sponsor, smashdigital.com. That's right, it's Travis Jameson's amazing SEO company, which provides SEO services, link building, and for TMBA listeners, personalized mini audits. Here's Travis in his own words.
0: We can take a look at your site from what google sees so we can see how it's structured we can see the links that you have and in a short few minute video can add a ton of value to a lot of people's sites even if you're pretty advanced at this stuff well hey that's going to make our job easier we can say the specific things of probably what you need to do or if it's you know a site that's got a long ways to go which we've seen some of then we can kind of you know steer them in the big picture direction of, of how to improve stuff. Or even just give them stuff to read. But the, the videos just kinda of like cover all that
1: stuff. Travis has long been a trailblazer in the SEO field, not just regurgitating Google's best practices, they call it SEO with skin in a game. That's using the same strategies they're using on Travis's personal portfolio of businesses on their clients. So check out an SEO company that's zigging when everybody else is zagging. Get in touch with the team over at smashdigital.com. So it was happening? Those ideas and dreams we discussed at the Whistle Stop Bar and late into the evenings at our office and during those super long commutes we were doing every day, we were actually doing it. We were growing the physical product business and Alongside of it, this new part of the business that we called the publishing arm. So just before our split with Jim, Ian had already moved our stock to an independent warehouse. So while Ian was running the ship back in San Diego with our team member, Alistair, I was in Southeast Asia driving our marketing, running the website of the business, and also doing some writing and working on this podcast. The moment that was important was when I had met a developer that I thought was our guy. You know, he had worked at a major newspaper in Manila doing their content website and in the same framework that our e-commerce store was on at the time. It was called Drupal. And hiring developers for Drupal in California, America, Europe, very expensive. Now, this guy is sitting there saying, well, I'll do it for you for $1,000 a month. The first time I heard that, I was like, whoa, that's like way more than I was expecting to pay. But on the other hand, his skills were really high level. You know, he had worked at this national newspaper. And so we hired him. But that was the moment that the Tropical MBA came into my head because I thought to myself, I'm having the time of my life right now. This is this enormous adventure. And if someone offered me a thousand bucks a month to learn about, What's going on here, like in the internet business space, I would have taken it. And so that's when I put up the Tropical MBA website, which was essentially like, come work for me. I'll teach you how we built this business. You get to look at the inside of it. We'll pay you a thousand bucks a month. And I'll also help you with your projects. And that was the idea of starting to get people that were listening to the podcast involved in our day to day business. In terms of the
0: first internship at the Tropical MBA, Dan was always kind of like, he had this idea that we could get people to work for us for basically free or cheap to grow our product business. And you know, the first step was finding developers and marketers in Asia at very low costs. And then this was kind of the second tier approach to it was like find Westerners that want to live the life that Dan was living abroad and work on these projects for us. And I got to tell you, like... I don't know if our product business would have been as successful if we weren't hiring people abroad because it was a huge competitive advantage. So not only did we have our manufacturing outsourced to a lower cost continent, China, we were also outsourcing our marketing and development. It was like a huge cost advantage over our competitors. And that's what I remember being focused on at the time we hired our first intern from the Tropical MBA. I would go out to Asia for a week or two at a time. You know, especially like in the beginning, I was the one answering the phone. I was the one running back to the warehouse to um, assemble a product and to ship it out. I do remember being in Asia and just like <laughs> so many nights like collecting 3G fobs, you know, like five or six of them trying to get Wi-Fi, trying to make sure payroll would go through on a Thursday morning. Sometimes not having internet. So it was like every time I was in Asia, I wasn't like disconnected from my responsibilities. And I always remember like having to get back pretty fast because we had a physical presence in the United States and like we had moving parts and inventory and things like that. So every time I went over there, my eyes like kind of lit up. I had these amazing experiences, but like I had to get back pretty fast.
1: So the first person we hired was a guy named Sean Ogle. He runs a blog called locationrebel.com. So Sean came and did an apprenticeship with us. I thought the uh, Philippines was like a little bit rough to bring somebody in that wasn't a more seasoned traveler. So we arranged to meet each other in Bangkok. He lived in Bangkok for a while. I mean, he moved around quite a bit in Asia at the time while he was working for us. It's impossible to describe. This is going to sound really corny, but the emotion of living in like a pre-social media world. I don't just mean Facebook. I mean like TripAdvisor and like kind of review sites that tell you like everything that's going on around you. And also really being on the bleeding edge, you know, in terms of just a few thousand people distributed all across the world are doing what you're doing. We weren't aware of like that kind of global fact as much as we were aware of like how it felt every day. Like, every day just felt like this gift. That's how I felt about it. Everything was just, like, overwhelming me. Like, holy shit, I'm doing this again. I'm sitting on this beach. I'm in this cafe. I'm exploring this country. You know, I've escaped this sort of lifestyle that I despised. This count your hours, sit in the office all day long, have very little flexibility of movement, and say in what happens in your life, like, all this stuff's changing for me in like a matter of a few years, and so I think this is why this was like a really creative, exciting time, and also like a lot of hubris, right? So now I think like, man, I've like cracked this code. Surely everybody wants to learn from me. So this is why this tropical MBA internship thing started happening. I remember sitting in an apartment in in Bali, just swooping in here to say that we're gonna talk more about the Bali house in a moment because. This was all happening sort of simultaneously, and I know that uh, for those of you who've been around a while, you'll know that that Bali house was sort of a character in the show for a while. There was like four of us in there. We were all interning, and there was for some reason I needed to go visit some old friends in the Philippines, and I thought, hey, well, why don't you guys all come with me? It'd be really fun. And I put up a blog post at the time that was like, hey, we're, we're all going to this place in the philippines anyway anybody who reads this blog or listens to this podcast just come join us we're gonna have a party and we're gonna do a mastermind and at that first meetup i believe there was 19 people that came and it was remote like it was you had to take like a rickety ferry to get to this meetup and so it created this vibe that was really special it's like we're not alone there's a bunch of others like thinking about this life and doing it, this is really a special thing.
0: What I remember most about the first meetup in the Philippines was it was kind of the first time that I realized so many people were in a similar position as us. Most of the people there were living in Asia, so I still kind of felt like an outsider because we had this like physical product business in California. At the same time, like everybody thought it was really cool. I remember what we were up to and the fact that we had this physical business. Meeting all these people, I remember like another thing came out of it, which was they all wanted to stay in touch after the meetup. And we're trying to figure out how to do that. I remember sitting on the porch of that resort and installing a piece of software that was basically our first forum. It was a way for us to all keep in contact. And then I remember Dan and I kind of like chuckling together like, oh, this is is an interesting business.
1: And so it was born and still exists today, our private community for founders of location independent businesses, the DC or Dynamite Circle. The strategy at the time was basically like, we've got something really special here. We all more or less know each other by one or two degrees of separation, something that is still true of the community today. So long as you qualify and we think you're cool, we're going to let the first 100 people to join this special party, they're going to join for free. And once we get number 100 in the door, the paywall is going to go up and we're going to charge quarterly to be a part of this amazing new group that we've created. The name The Dynamite Circle is a historical accident. And in retrospect, I wish I would have maybe taken a little bit more time on it. But we had had a company that was like a holding company at the time called Dynamite Publishing. The idea was that all of this web marketing business we were doing was eventually going to be under this umbrella company called (laughs) Dynamite Publishing. At the time, we called it the product business and the publishing business. And the publishing business was in charge of this podcast. The idea that we were going to have this private forum, this group of people, I think it was like the visual of actually the people on that deck at the resort That inspired the name Circle. All 19 of us were in a circle, all looking at each other. And it was like, just put two together, and that was the end of it. What I can't remember is why I first went to Bali. It may have been an email from a listener, but I remember the effect it had on me. And how beautiful and wonderful it was to be there. One thing led to another. I mean, it was kind of like co-living at times with these interns. And I just thought, man, it's really affordable to get a pretty stunning home in Bali. We could use the free rooms as an incentive for people to come out and work and mastermind with us. That's exactly what happened. I remember calling up Ian and I found this villa Right now, I mean the difference in pricing between 2012 when we were the year we were in this Bali villa and as we speak today in 2019 is extraordinary. I mean, it would be unthinkable that we could do this nowadays in this area in Seminyak, but somehow for $17,000 a year, we got a 5 bedroom villa with a gardener and a housekeeper, a beautiful zen garden, a huge pool with a cabana And it did turn into this place where we would host parties, attract people, even on like entrepreneurial pilgrimages. People would quite literally show up and knock on the door.
0: What I remember about this villa in Bali was Dan asking me if we could spend $25,000 up front to pay for this thing. (laughs) Uh, And I just remember it was like the first little bit amount of money that we had. And this is how he wanted to invest it. And I just, I just remember kind of thinking like, is this for your lifestyle? Is this for the company? Like, Which one's more important here? He got the villa. And it was pretty spectacular. And some of the things that happened at that villa were pretty spectacular. And some of the people that we met there, we still know today. And some of those people have gone on to grow great businesses and become great friends it was one of those investments. And this is like a Dan investment, you know, it was like one of those investments that like most people can't see myself included until it's all over. And then it's like a memory that's made for life. Now, in terms of the ROI, like that's also like a Dan investment. Like it's, it's very hard to discern like what the actual ROI was. Like there's a lot of like smoke and mirrors around that, but is it something that we'll remember forever? Is it something that did change our business?
1: Yeah. Yeah. At the time, it wasn't totally clear how the DC was going to proceed. There was people meeting up all the time, sort of on their own volition. You know, the the forum was small enough at the time, and so many of us were so highly mobile and just bouncing around all the time that you were just a forum post away from having a meetup. And it's still the case today with a large group of the community. And I remember there was this brainstorm moment. I mean, we would sit around late into the night and we would kick around business ideas in the living room. And somehow it came up that we should host seminars with the idea of helping someone who wanted to grow an online business, take their idea and turn it into a reality. But I remember just sort of jumping on the podcast the next day, all excited from this like, late night conversation. And I pitched it to Ian more or less live on the show. And it just sort of felt like a no-brainer. It was a combination of factors. It was that no one we felt was legit still. It was like all this BS out there. And here I am sitting in a room full of people that aren't BS. Like they are legitimate. I can see directly how they're doing it. A combination of my friend who owned a resort and the cost was such that we could do it cheaply. Maybe there was some pressure to like get the business stuff rolling. I don't recall so much of that, but maybe that too. In fact, it ruined my Bali experience a little bit because instead of spending the summer in Bali, I was spending it in the Philippines with 44 entrepreneurs who flew to a remote island. They paid $2,000 to spend, I believe it was about 11 or 12 day seminar sessions. We basically did three two-week blocks throughout the summer of 2012.
0: I was in the Philippines the whole time with Dan running these seminars. This was really one of the first times that that organization was making money. So that to me was exciting because basically Dan had figured out a way to charge people. He had figured out because he had a friend that had this resort that we could do it fairly cheaply. For me, it it was starting to look like a real business. Like it was starting to look like Hey, we might have something here. But you know, the logistics involved and like the personalities involved, quite quickly like figured out like number 1, this is like a very difficult business and number 2, help, I'm stuck with these <laughs> these 20 people for 2 weeks, many of who don't really want to be here anymore. Now, that being said, like I actually met some really great entrepreneurs during those two sessions people that are still kind of around uh, and doing great things. But there were a couple people that came to these events that had difficult personalities that
1: we're basically stuck on a a deserted island with for two weeks. As someone who spent the majority of his career selling hard goods products, selling experiences is is a whole different ballgame. And selling experiences is all about setting expectations. And so here I am, like all of a sudden, like I'm very comfortable with this fringe lifestyle, right? I'm living out of a backpack for a couple of years at this point. I mean, I'm not just feral at this point. Like I am totally out of gen pop. So the idea to me that people would mind, I don't know, not having warm water in their hotel room doesn't quite occur to me because part of my assumption at the time was, well, like the only people who would ever buy something like this would clearly like love all that stuff. That's the whole point, right?
0: (laughs) People complain about everything and they kind of had the right to. The food was not health conscious. Remember on the sales page that we wrote for this retreat, it was like this entrepreneurial gathering. We're going to present a bunch of ideas. By the end of it, you're going to have a business. All that was true, but like health foods available and like paleo options and all this stuff. And It was clearly something that like I'm sure he like ran it by the resort to like ask, and then they just kind of like shook their head. I'm imagining like, oh yeah, sure, we'll we'll do paleo or whatever. And like Dan never followed up on it. So you know, when people got there, they were expecting like health conscious food and paleo food and all this, and it was just basically like whatever they could bring over on the boat and cook up. Like that's what we ate, and I thought it was delightful because these were a lot of dishes that I'd never had before. But I'm sure a lot of people came to this uh, with different expectations because it was clearly laid out
1: in the sales page what type of food they would be getting. I felt like the overall satisfaction level that our students had with us wasn't in line with how much I felt like we had to put into it for a variety of reasons. I mean, one is that people have a lot of different standards for how they want to live their lives for two weeks. Two is if I'm being quite frank, I felt like I was a babysitter a lot of times, or maybe some of my customers felt like they were babysitting me. But this idea that, you know, all of a sudden, like everything's on the table, you know, like we're talking about pretty deep issues. Some people sort of figured out by the end that they didn't want to be an entrepreneur. People were at different positions in their life and business. So I say all these things to, I guess, to be funny because if there's a problem in, in this, like you're really exposed to it, and for that reason it was wonderful and ultimately i would consider these sessions to be a success for sure but i think it's pretty easy to imagine you know the idea that you're going to live with people like in close quarters eat every meal with them grow a business in 2 weeks is only an idea that could have come from a very stupid 20 year old
0: so although the seminars in the philippines i feel like it didn't meet some people's expectations. There were a few people that built substantial sized businesses off those weeks. We saw the power and magic when entrepreneurs get together because you know a lot of these entrepreneurs they were like in the same position we were where they're like very lonely, you know, and they're trying to find their tribe and they were trying to explain these problems that they were having and they were looking for solutions. We saw that power but I think we realized Quickly, like we didn't want to be gurus, number one, because uh, these events were a lot of us like presenting our ideas and what we had learned. And that didn't seem like a good fit for our personalities. Like We didn't want to find ourselves in a position where we were ultimately responsible for their success. And so we started to think about just throwing events, basically, just throwing big parties for entrepreneurs. Bangkok seemed like a good idea. It was a lot easier to get to than this small Philippine island. Obviously, like an international airport, and so we threw our first event. It was at the Aloft in Bangkok.
1: So the first DCPKK was launched at our TMBA seminars in the Philippines that summer. The idea was like we would have these brainstorms and meetups, and then everybody would kind of put in their headphones and go launch something. And I was working alongside with the customers, so. Our idea was, well, what if we did this meetup in Bangkok? Yeah, I remember like, it was an instant positive reaction. The first event had 85 attendees. And our keynote speakers were Derek Sivers and Simon Black of SovereignMan.com. And it was one of these things where you're going from this like really trying, exhausting summer where... We're all trying to do like the hardest thing in the world, which is start a business in a place where the internet sucks. And then you fast forward to this one weekend in Bangkok, everybody pays like 150 bucks. They stay in an awesome hotel. They see these world famous entrepreneurs. There's only 85 of us, so we all get to know each other. And it was a breakthrough moment for me because I was just like, man, this is like so much easier. People are just loving it. Like, I mean, people are coming up to me all weekend saying how this is a life changer, expressing the most profound sense of gratitude that I've ever felt, like in a professional way. And that was definitely a light bulb moment for me. I was like, "This is the ticket right here." In the beginning, I think
0: what people latched onto at these events was that they weren't alone. This was like still very new territory. Like people running online businesses, like. You couldn't just reach out to people on Facebook groups and say, like, hey, who's in town? Want to catch dinner and talk about my business? Like, we were all on our own little islands. And so when we all got together in Bangkok, it was like basically a lot of affirmation for people that they weren't doing this alone. And the content was kind of like secondary. I mean, I remember in the beginning, like, you know there's a lot more people telling like really vulnerable stories about like what was going on in their business, breakups, problems that they were having and like everybody was just like really foaming at the mouth for this type of information because it was the struggles that they were also going through. And so that was a lot of what the early events were were about were people just sharing their personal experiences growing these businesses by themselves. And then eventually like it, it started to become more than that. You know, it started to become like hey here are the things that I'm learning. I want to share them with you in terms of like tips and tactics. And here's some of the things that I'm seeing on the internet. Here's trends. But then also, there started to become like a lot of partnerships and there started to become like a lot of relationships built at these events. Like people were meeting each other and then they were becoming business partners or they were exchanging ideas or information or money. And so it really started to become a place where people could come and like get immediate value from.
1: Yeah. So DCBKK, the current version of it, you know, eight years into it, feels and looks very much, you know, it still carries that original vibe, which is, I think for a lot of us, DCBKK feels like a weekend out of the year that is fun. It's a chance to maybe up your lifestyle a little bit. Like that was definitely in the room that first year. Like, hey, let's up level, let's not stay in cheap affordable places like let's go to this good hotel at, to be around each other in that environment let's make sure everybody here is like legitimate let's be humble and like try to help each other all out that was sort of like that vibe that first year that vibe of solidarity that vibe of like no one's coming to this conference unless they're a total insider and that's still how dcbkk feels today like a conference for insiders In fact, the DC, which now totals well over a thousand members and the associated events and long, strong relationships grew from this very pod. And In some ways, the podcast became even more important to Ian when we sold that product business back in 2015, something we talked about in episode 303 titled, Seven Things to Consider When Selling Your Business. I'm not going to lie, I've written a book about this called Before the Exit, It challenged us both. You know, we had sold this thing that had really bonded us for the better part of a decade, and there was some questions there for a few years, like, what are you guys going to do next? What are you going to do? Before we started Dynamite Jobs, people were constantly asking us, you know, like, what are you guys going to do next? And sometimes that question was accompanied with another one, which is, have you ever thought about going your separate ways?
0: One of the things that I told Dan actually pretty recently, and I think this is like part of the reason why our relationship has sustained for over a decade now, although like we disagree and although we don't have complete alignment on all issues, neither of us over the years has been willing to like say or do anything that would blow up the relationship. We've always been like really respectful of each other, and I think that that's why it's why it's endured.
1: If I had to say like where the friction points with Ian and I have been over the years, I think that most notable thing is that there's not a lot. We've had some fights over money. Like the way Ian and I think about money is pretty different. This is idea of like the sower and the reaper that I always think about. Like Ian is the reaper, and I'm the sower. So he always is concerned that I'm going to be overspending. Which is true. And then I'm going to be going out and like putting money behind things where it's not going to make any money. Ian's always very concerned about getting the ROI and making it drop to the bottom line. That's the creative tension I've often said to him, you know, when we've considered like, should we do our own thing? I was always like, dude, like, I'm not ready to do Wings yet. Wings was the band that Paul McCartney started after the Beatles broke up. And because in my mind, he wasn't arguing with John anymore about how to construct a great song. His songs got worse. And that's cool. Wings is still an okay band, but I was like, let's not do that. Like Ian and I have a really good creative tension. We do have these like different mindsets about it, but we're also able to see where the other one's coming from. I like that. It's caused a few arguments over the years, but it's also caused a lot of awesome debates. Because the other day he said something to me that like offended me philosophically. He was like, Your main drive is to be famous, and my main drive is to be rich. And I was like, Holy shit, dude. Like, we've been friends for 10 years. How do you, this is a total misunderstanding. (laughs) And I was offended because if what you're going to say at the end of the day about why we do this podcast and like why we host masterminds and all that, is because we want people to notice us, to me, is like, what a letdown. Look at the opportunity here. It's not about people knowing who we are. It's about becoming an engine for the growth of this revolution. And in some ways, we had a hand in it, like back on the beach in 2012, that hundreds of these businesses exist because we talked about them in part. What if we could have a bigger role? You know, what if we can staff their teams? Like what if we can grow their marketing? What if we can do all these sorts of other things? But for me, our hook into that whole thing has always been the pod. So that's why if the business is burning down, I'm running back in for the show. It's the one thing that we're gonna hold on to no matter what because it keeps us in the game. And the game is being a part of this revolution that we've witnessed firsthand over the last decade. So that's it for now, reflecting back over the last decade and a half. It's been awesome to be here as part of this mini lifestyle and business revolution with all of you. It's constantly evolving and unpredictable, and we're just happy to be here in the earbuds in some small way being a part of it. That's why we're continually motivated to do this show every week because we don't know what's coming around the corner, we don't know who we're going to meet, who we're going to reconnect with, what next great business or trend's going to come about or opportunity for us to make our livings and to build our careers in these extraordinary ways. If you would have sort of reeled back the tape and gone back to when I first walked into my first job and you said to me like, "Look at what all these people that are listening to the TMBA podcast are doing with their lives. Like that's a possibility." My mind would have just been absolutely blown and it would have been no question for me what I would wanted to have done with my life at that moment. It just took me many, many years to get there, and I'm glad to be here. So we're gonna continue to keep it cracking through the pod, our online community dynamite circle, our events that we run for that, dynamite jobs, dynamite deals, and who knows what's next. So thanks for sticking around for these uh, two slightly more reflective episodes. We uh, probably won't be doing too many of these in the future. Uh, That's about all the story there is in us. But we will be back talking business as usual next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.